last days and the world to come. Uh, today I've titled uh, this one, The Sign of His Coming. Uh, we, uh, we looked at the creation before the flood of Noah, the creation presently, and the creation to come. We looked at man as being created from uh, the earth and the breath of God, what the circumstances of death are and the hope of resurrection. We looked at each of the covenants of God. We looked at the kingdom of God. We looked at judgment and salvation. We looked at the uh, biblical context of so-called heavens and hells. And uh, we looked last week at the day of the Lord, a serious day of uh, fear and judgment and wrath that uh, will come upon the earth at the last times. So today we want to look at the, um, the return of the Lord, and we're going to spend a great deal of time in Matthew chapter 24, so you might want to uh, turn your, your Bibles there. Matthew 24, we're going to look at some other passages too, but we're going to specifically look at the signs of His coming. Uh, in the passage it was just read, it's, Paul said, in the latter days people will fall away. We've t- talked about that falling away last uh, week a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about it more uh, tonight, today. And the idea is that the, uh, the scriptures uh, are constantly talking to us about the gathering and the resurrection. And they're talking about uh, the coming of the kingdom of God. So the question is, what is the sign of that kingdom? And you can go through bookstores and you can go through the internet and you will just hear everything used to, to be a sign of the coming of the Lord. Uh, and uh, there are entire programs of prophecy buffs who do this. It's interesting, they generally don't use the biblical uh, signs. They use biblical signs, but not the signs that Jesus gave as those signs. So we're going to look at that today. I'd like you to turn to Matthew 24. Um, we're going to go through this chapter. Um, And in the first two verses, it sets up the story. Jesus came uh, out of the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Jesus then walks out of the temple and goes across the the, uh, valley Uh, up to the Mount of Olives. It says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is a beautiful uh, place to to see the entire city of Jerusalem, uh, his disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus uh, tells his disciples that this thing is going to come apart. They're pointing to the buildings of the temple, and he says, the city's going to be destroyed and the temple, and not one stone will be left on a stone. And then he goes his way. They're not going to just let that go. So when Jesus arrives at the probably the Garden of Gethsemane, which seemed to be a place that they often uh, went on the Mount of Olives, he, uh, they, they say to him, when is this going to happen? Uh, what is, when will these things be? In other words, when will the temple and Jerusalem be destroyed? And they must be thinking to themselves, again? And then, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, they don't mean the sign of your coming like we think of your coming, because he's with them. 
They're having trouble believing he's going to die and rise from the dead. They have no sense that he's going to ascend and then going to return. So what they mean is, what is the sign of your coming into your full kingship in the kingdom of God on earth? When the, I mean, if the temple's going to be destroyed, what about you? You're the Messiah. And the third thing, what will signal the end or the consummation of the age? So they begin to realize that uh, there's more here than what meets the eye, and they want Jesus to give them that information. Now, this message that Jesus gives in Matthew 24 is also found in Mark 13 and in Luke 21. John does not have this. Uh, John is addressing different things. Uh, But in this context, all of the synoptic gospels tell this story, and, and for the most part, the detailed differences are minimal. So we're going to use Matthew uh, 24 as our, as our basis. And we're going to begin with an interesting uh, text. What Jesus is going to do in Matthew 24 is a process of telling the answer much in the way that, that Moses tells the creation. Moses in chapter 1 of the creation tells the whole story up through the Sabbath And then in chapter 2, he backs in and fills in the details. And he fills in the details of what's significant. What we're going to see Jesus do is give the details of this answer. And then he's going to zero in on the sign of his coming. And that's why this is important. So I'm going to read um, verse 4 to 14 just directly. And then we'll take a look at these passages. He says, Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. And false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness increases, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be delivered or he will be saved. The gospel of the, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus gives a basic teaching. He starts out by saying in, in verses uh, 4 to 6, Don't be deceived. Be careful. People are going to mislead people. And he says that that's going to happen uh, by people coming, saying, I am the Christ and deceiving many. Now, there are two ways to look at this passage. And I think both are true. There will be false messiahs. People coming and saying, I'm Christ, follow me, and people will follow them. That has always happened. It goes on today. But, but it will happen more and more towards the end as we move towards the sign of his coming. But the more dangerous one is the people who come and say, Jesus is the Messiah, and then deceive many. It's one thing 
for someone to say, I'm the Messiah, we're unlikely to be deceived. But if somebody comes teaching that Jesus is the Messiah, we all go, oh, well, what else do you know? And then they take that truth and mix it with error, and now we have a problem. The very thing that Satan did in Genesis in the beginning. So, you want to be careful of that, because there will be a delusion, and there will be a falling away, and it comes from these people who say, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is Messiah, and then teach false doctrine. In, in verses 7 and 8, we're told, well, in 6 he says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be frightened. These things must take place. It's not the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. These are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, uh, evangelical Christianity, every time there's an earthquake, every time there's a war, starts talking in time prophecy. There have been earthquakes and wars ever since Babel. And they will continue. And Jesus says, those aren't the signs. Those are just birth pangs. Now, what do we know about birth pangs? I know nothing. Okay? But what I'm told by women who have them is that they start fairly infrequent and fairly manageable, and then they become frequent and unmanageable. And that's probably what Jesus is referring to. That famines and earthquakes and wars are going to be the way of life. They're the way of life from Babel, from the time after Noah, to the end of time, which will be as the days of Noah. So throughout this entire present age, there will be earthquakes, there will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, there will be famines. That's the way the present age is. It's not a sign of the end. But it is true that towards the end, they will become more frequent and more severe. And we see that in the book of Revelation. We just don't have time to address that uh, now because we're looking at other signs. So, after he says that, in verse 9 he says, Then they shall deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated of all nations for my, because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, this is one of the signs of the end of time. <clears throat> and it is talked about throughout the scriptures. Uh, we saw this... Last week, when we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so I want you to uh, go there with me, and uh, we'll look at it again so that you can see it now in the context of what Jesus is saying. Because we were talking about the day of the Lord, uh, now the disciples are asking specifically about the sign of His coming, when will you come into the kingdom? <coughs> So Paul says, now I request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, be disturbed either by spirit or message uh, or a letter as from us, 
to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anybody deceive you. Paul says the same thing. Let no one deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That's the falling away. And the man of sin, or the man of lawlessness, is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. I want you to catch this. Paul says that day won't come until there is a falling away of believers and the man of lawlessness what we call the Antichrist, is revealed. And how is he revealed? He will stand in the holy place of the temple and claim that he is God, he is Messiah. Now, it's unlikely that's going to happen this week because there is no temple. There is no great falling away as of yet. So, we are not on the cusp or the verge of the second coming of the Lord. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines are not a sign. The sign is the falling away and the, uh, the man of sin being revealed. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, we are told that in the midst of the chaos of the wars and the persecution of believers, false prophets will arise and mislead many who are not alert or who are ignorant of the Scriptures, but those who stay committed to truth, trust God and obey Him, will be saved. They will be delivered. And Jesus also says that the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the nations and then the end will come. This is a key verse. The preaching of the kingdom comes as the people of God are persecuted and betrayed. And by their lives and based on their testimonies, the gospel will be proclaimed as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. I know this verse is used for missions to get us out there and evangelize so that we can bring uh, the, the end to come. But they're not paying attention. What Jesus says is, all of a sudden there's going to be a persecution. He's going to describe it in detail. This persecution is going to be so bad that what's going to happen is that there will be a falling away. People will start rejecting their profession of faith because now they're being persecuted for their faith and they can't handle that. And in that persecution, the authentic ones are going to be seen And they will become martyrs and even their false brethren will turn them over to be killed. And false prophets will arise and pull people away. In other words, there will be a weaning out of the true believer and the false believer by the circumstances of the end times. What is called the Great Tribulation. And in the process of that, Every nation that is persecuting God's people will be aware of the message of the gospel because it will be there. Remember what he said? When that happens, don't worry about what you're saying because the Spirit will give you the words to say. The gospel will be proclaimed in that context. 
So, having said this and gone through all through to the end, Jesus now backs up and goes into detail about this revelation of the man of sin and the falling away, the signs that Paul says these things have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. Look with me at uh, uh, Matthew 24, verse 15. So Jesus says, Now therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place... You get it, what Paul's talking about? Standing in the holy place. Let he who reads understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back or get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing in those days. Pray that your flight is not in winter or on the Sabbath. For there shall then be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world, until now nor ever will be. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Therefore, if anyone says, Behold, here is the Messiah, or there is the Messiah, don't, for false messiahs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, the very elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, He's out in the wilderness, don't go. If He says He's in the inner secret rooms, don't believe them. For just as the lightning comes out of the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Because where the corpse is, there the vultures will be gathered. Now, you've got to hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you, first of all, to know what's going to kick off this great tribulation. It will be the abomination of desolation. Daniel told of one who will do this. That will happen, and when that happens... All hell's going to break loose on the earth. And there's going to be a time of trouble like no one has ever seen before. It will never be that way again. It will be a terrible time. And in that time, believers will fall away. And they will betray one another. And there will be false prophets and false messiahs. And people will be desperate for the Lord to come. And he says, don't let them tell you he's out in the wilderness. Don't let them tell you there's some secret hiding with the Lord. I've told you ahead of time, those are lies. Because when I come, it will be visible. It will be as the lightning that everybody can see. And it will be a visible coming. And you will see me and you will know that I am coming. So much for a secret rapture. Now, we need to understand Daniel. So I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. I'm, I don't have time to read the whole context. I want you to look at that when you can. Daniel was given a vision and this was his vision. In verse 24 he was told, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make the end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Several things that are going to happen in the end of time are set, and he says these are tied into these weeks. 
So you are to know and discern from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Okay. Now that happened under Ezra and Zerubbabel. In part, it will happen again. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will die. That's literally what he says. And have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Jesus died and in AD 70, the the city and the sanctuary was destroyed. Just like Jesus said. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be a war. Desolations are determined. So there's more to happen. And he will confirm the covenant with many for one week. But in the midst of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. And on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate, even until the complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So, after the Messiah dies and is cut off and the city is destroyed, one is going to come who is going to confirm the covenant for a week, seven years. And in the midst of that period, he's going to violate the covenant. And that's the abomination of desolation. Now, how does that work? Well, look at Daniel 11, 29. Because he tells us about this one. He's been talking about him, but I want you to get this piece. Because this is related to the abomination and the tribulation. At the appointed time, verse 29, he will return and come into the south... But this last time it will not turn out the way it did before. The ships of Kittims will come against him, and therefore he will be disheartened and return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. This is the breaking of the covenant. And he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. In other words, he's not interested in the covenant being kept. He's going to He's going to reward those who don't keep the covenant. Forces with him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up abomination of desolation. By smooth words, he will turn the godlessness, uh, turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by plunder for many days. A tribulation of persecution against those who know our God. Now when they fall they will be granted a little help and many will join them in their hypocrisy. The falling away of the false believers. Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. Some Christians are going to backslide. They're actually believers, and they're going to try to save themselves by going with the crowd. And they will be purged. They will suffer. And ultimately, 
come back to God. Then the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and every monstrous thing against the God of gods. That's what Paul said, right? And he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed to be done. He will show no regard for the God of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other God. He will magnify himself above all. That's what Paul says. He'll magnify himself above all things that are called God, standing in the holy place, showing himself that he is God. But instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones and treasures. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, he'll set up an image of himself and tell people they have to worship it. He will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. That's the God of this world. We know who that is. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over many and will parcel out land for a price. In the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. The king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen and many men. And he will enter the country, overflow them and pass through. Look at verse 41. He will also enter the beautiful land. What we call the holy land. He will enter Israel. And many countries will fall. But there will be rescued out of his hand Edom and Moab and Ammon. Those those areas of the promised land that surround Israel. He will stretch out his hand against other countries and the land of Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. The Libyans, the Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his tents of his royal pavilion between the seas. That is between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. On the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. He will come to his end with the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who is to come will conquer the world and he will seek to partially even take the beautiful land of promise. He will find difficulty because there will be covenant keepers. Jews will keep the covenant and Christians who are Judeo-Christian, who, who obey the commands of God, will be the ones who oppose him. He will persecute them while standing in the holy place and the ones who live near there are told to get out. The persecution will be worse there. The resulting tribulation of persecution against those who keep the commandments and the testimony of God will be the worst ever to happen. It will be so bad that God will have to cut that time short. Otherwise, no believer would survive. And there will be deception because people will rise up and tell us Jesus is in the dark, uh, hidden place. He's in the wilderness. You can find him here. And that's not true. When he comes, we will see him. That's the second major sign that's going to be done. So, back to Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. With me on the timing? The sun will be dark. The moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky, 
and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So at the end of the tribulation, the sun will go to darkness, the moon will turn to blood, the stars will start falling from heaven, the skies will be shaken, the earth will be shaken. And verse 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. What's going to happen is the sun will go dark, the moon will turn to blood, the stars will fall from heaven, and the sky is going to rip open, and they'll see the Lord with all the armies of heaven coming to the earth to conquer the earth. Every eye will see him. This is not a secret rapture. People say, oh, but that's going to happen before. No, the next verse tells when it happens. And he shall send forth his angels with a great trumpet, the shofar. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. From one end of the sky to the other. Four winds means from the earth. Sky means from the heavens. What's going to happen? He's going to gather us back together. Now we see this same thing in Revelation chapter 6. So I want you to turn there. Revelation chapter 6, Jesus is, is pulling the seals of the scroll to talk about what's going on. And we're not going to read them all, but if you read the first several seals, it is famine and earthquakes and pestilence and all those things that are the beginning of the uh, birth pangs. And then when we get to verse 9, he says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on its name was Death and Hades was following after him. Authority was given them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and with the wild beasts of the earth. Verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. This gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world. And they cried out with a loud voice, How long, Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There was given to them a white robe, and they were told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been killed, was completed. Because this great tribulation is going on in the earth. Number 12. And I looked, and he broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split open like a scroll, and it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, the rich and the strong, and the slaves and the free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks, and said to them, Fall on us and hide us. From him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? The day of the Lord. We saw that in Joel. 
He said the luminaries will dwindle. And the sky will be split. And the Lord will come in the day of His wrath. And it won't be a happy day. See the picture? The sign of the coming of the Lord is the skies will rip open. We pull open the curtain here. When Jesus died, the veil was rent. That veil, we're told, was made to look like the starry sky of the heavens. And so in the same way, the sky will be ripped open from top to bottom and the Lord will return. That's the sign of His coming. And they'll go, oh, we're in trouble. Because by now, all the martyrs have testified to them of the day of the Lord that is coming and what will happen to them. And they will say to the rocks in the caves, fall on us, hide us. But there is no hiding from the wrath of God. In Matthew twenty four thirty two, we are given instructions by our Lord that we need to t- take heed to. Now remember what Revelation says. He says the stars will fall like fig tree that was shaken. Right. Jesus says, learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it's put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happen, recognize that he is near at the door. I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Now I want you to catch what Jesus is saying. He is not saying when Israel becomes a nation, I'm at the door. Remember I said to you before that Israel becoming a nation in 1948 may be connected to prophecy, but it's not the prophecy of the gathering. Because when the Lord comes back, what is he telling them to do? Get out of there. That's not the gathering. Get out of there. Because there's going to be a persecution that will be terrible. And then I'll come back. And I will gather you. Prophecy buffs have this so wrong it's unbelievable. And they have put us to sleep with the doctrine of a ali ali oxen free slip away rapture. Where we don't have to face it. And Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. You better listen to my words. And teach them diligently to your children and your children. Because, he says in the next verse, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. So we have to be alert. Because it will happen in a generation. It's looking very much like it won't be in my generation. I don't know if it will be in the next generation. He says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. What was the flood? The flood was the judgment of God, the wrath of God. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand because of delusion that God gave them. 
until the flood came and took them away. It'll be that way with the coming of the Son of Man. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. The one taken is taken in judgment, not in rapture. They are wiped away by the judgment of God so that those who remain can enter into the kingdom. We have this completely backwards. So Jesus warns us, Therefore be on the alert, because you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time the night the thief was coming, remember he comes as a thief in the night, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't think. Who then is the faithful and sensible servant whom his master will put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. There will be people keeping the covenant under persecution and people running from the covenant under persecution. Who do you think the Lord is going to give place to? Those who are faithful in the suffering. I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. They will rule and reign with him. But if that evil servant says in his heart, oh, my master is not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards, what's happening? A great falling away. I don't have to love the brethren. I can mistreat the brethren. And I can hang out with the world because I'm saved by grace. The master of that servant will come in a day when he does not expect him, at an hour when he does not know. Cut him in pieces, assign him a place with the hypocrites, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The lake of fire. Gehenna. The next passage is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. What is Jesus saying to us? The sign of my coming is that the world is going to go through a terrible persecution. The man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. An interesting term, lawlessness. The one without Torah. And because Torahlessness will increase among my people, the love of many will wax cold. Because what does this say? Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Love one another. The sign of our discipleship will go. We will betray brother unto death. We are to be on alert. We do this by trusting God, being faithful to His commands, and by loving the brethren, which is the sign of discipleship. As so-called brothers lose hope in persecution, stop obedience because of the Lord's delay, and begin to hurt fellow believers and become drunk with the world, the Lord will treat him like an unbeliever because that's what he is. And he will give him eternal damnation. We have become confused and ignorant of the doctrine of the last days and the world to come. We do not know the signs, and we have allowed false people to come up with their stupid books and their stupid doctrines, and their stupid ideas that pull verses out of context and make everybody think it's going to be okay because we won't be here when it happens. Now, some of us won't. We're going to sleep in death. But one day, the generation that is there 
will go through this. And we need to be alert and pass it on to our children and our grandchildren lest they fall away because we gave them an easy believism. For our children's sake, we must be alert, we must wake up, and we must be obedient. Let's pray.